Good morning again. Uh, as I said before, I'm Doug Moss, uh, associate pastor here at St. John, and we're continuing uh, our series as we talk about some of the hollow things, or the things in life that leave us hollow uh, if we don't find the right thing to replace them with. Uh, and so tonight, uh, today is day two, week two of our series, uh, and we're starting uh, to continue to move through Galatians. Last week we talked about Galatians 1, uh, and this week we're going to be in Galatians 2. So if you've got your Bible with you, or we've got pew Bibles, uh, you can turn to the right page uh, here in the pew, or if you've got your phone with a Bible app, uh, whatever it uh, takes for you to follow along with us, uh, we'd love to have you read along with us. But before we actually read the passage, uh, I want to just take a moment and set up what's going on at this time in Galatians chapter 2. Uh, you see, as you all know, we're communal beings. Like we're actually genetically designed to live and be in community. Uh, we, we're not made to be isolationist, uh, individualistic. Like, like we will not survive as a species unless we have a supportive, strong, helpful community around us. And that is just such a true throughout all the various cultures of history, but it was especially true uh, in this time 2,000 years ago. You see, what happened was Jesus Christ came and changed everything. He died, conquered death, rose again, and you had this group of people who were forced to struggle with what does it mean to build a community now that this earth-shaking, universe-shaking truth has happened. And at the time, one of just the realities of the situation is almost everyone that believed in the work of Jesus was Jewish. And if you were Jewish, your community was built around your actions. There were certain ways that Jews acted, and that's what made you not only holy and righteous, but it's what marked you as part of the community. And so now you have these people who are saying, Christ did everything for us. He, he did this amazing miracle on our behalf. He saved us on our behalf. Um, but all of us just happen to be Jewish as it is. And so do we no, still need to live in these same ways? Do we still need to have the same actions? Uh, and so they had this big meeting about it, in fact, uh, where they said, what, what do we need to do? Because uh, this guy, Paul, who we've been learning about, was actually sharing this good news of Jesus to people who weren't Jewish. And frankly, it was messing things up for the people that already knew how to act and belong and be with each other. And so they had this big conversation about what, what do we need to do? Can someone believe in Jesus without following all these actions that mark us as part of the community? And the answer that Paul said was yes. You don't have to do any of these things. You just have to believe in Jesus. There's no other action that's required. There's no other prerequisite for being in community with us. And by and large, the leaders of the church agreed with Paul, which frankly is the only reason you or I or any of us are sitting here today. Because if they hadn't, none of us or almost none of us are Jewish. We would not be uh, in the community of believers if it weren't for this argument going the way it did. And so with that context and background, this uh, is what Paul is describing here in his second uh, chapter of his letter to his church. So when Cephas came to Antioch, and again, as a reminder, Cephas uh, is another name for Peter, who is one of Jesus's closest friends and apostles. Uh, and in fact, uh, a lot of people believe that um, the reason Paul calls him Cephas instead of Peter is because he's actually uh, rebuking him. Uh, it's a bit of a neg uh, by Paul, because when Peter's doing right things, good things, God-honoring things, he's Peter. When he's being a jerk, he's Cephas. Um, so, this is Paul telling the story. When Cephas came to Antioch, and Antioch is Paul's hometown, the first church that he planted, uh, and Peter is from Jerusalem, all right? So, Peter's coming from Jerusalem, visiting Paul's church in Antioch. 
And Paul, in that moment, had to oppose him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, so basically they were out in Antioch doing their thing, and then some visitors came from Jerusalem, Peter's hometown. Peter used to eat with the Gentiles. He maintained community with people who didn't act like Jews. But when the Jewish people arrived from James from Jerusalem, then Peter began to draw back, and he separated himself from the Gentiles. And he did this because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. And the circumcision group just simply means those people who said, you're part of our community based on acting like a Jew. If you act like a Jew, you're one of us. That's the circumcision group. And he was afraid of them. And so then the other Jews in Antioch, the other people at this church, a church that had been a place where different cultures, different ethnicities, different people mingled together in harmony and community— Now, the Jews pulled back. They joined Cephas in his hypocrisy, and so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. Galatians chapter 2. All right, so this is the problem. You've got Paul trying to build a community around the saving work of Christ. All these people said, hey, we're different. We have different backgrounds. We have different, uh, you know, things that brought us to this place, but we're going to have a community based on Jesus But what happened is when some kind of holier-than-thou people came from Jerusalem, suddenly that was no longer good enough, and suddenly that very community fractured. Cephas and some of the other Jews pulled back, and they could no longer interact with the people that they had been in community with. All right, so we can see why that's a problem, obviously, Um, although I just encourage you not to necessarily sweat too much the details because the the actions that they were concerned about then are not actions that uh, generally trouble us today. We're not worried about circumcision. We're not worried about how rare you cook your steak, uh, and those were the kinds of things that that were bothering them. But, But I want you to see the universal nature of this. We may not care about those issues here in 2017, but there are certainly things that drive a wedge between believers today. We let actions come between us uh, on a variety of subjects. And it's because actions are one of the easiest ways to mark yourselves as part of a community. And so we take these things that are such obvious markers, and it becomes a thing that we build our lives around. You you can just say, oh, you're a Cardinals fan? I'm a Cardinals fan. This is great. Like, like we we can talk. We have something uh, uh, to engage us. Or, you know, oh, you you like mountain biking? I like mountain biking. Like, like we we should go sometime. Like, oh, you Pinterest? I Pinterest. Uh, I don't Pinterest. My wife Pinterest. But but she Pinterests. And, and there's a community built around that. She talks to people that I've never even met or seen because they just have Pinterest boards. But your actions become this thing that actually instigates, drives, and even maintains our community. And that's fine as far as it goes, but we have to be aware of the pitfalls of that kind of mentality. Uh, and I'll, I'll tell you when I realized that for myself. You see, I had a, a large group of guy friends uh, for a long time back in, in Colorado, and, uh, and we did a lot of things together. And then... I started having kids. And I, in that moment, realized exactly how much my friendships and my community were based around our actions that we did together. See, we, we mountain biked. We played basketball. Uh, we played video games. We, we went to, you know, certain brew pubs. Like, like there were things that we did. And then when I had uh, you know, my first baby, uh, and, and which began a long uh, multi-year process of having babies, uh, and I no longer had time to play basketball two or three times a week. I no longer had time to go mountain biking on the weekends. I no longer had the energy to stay up late and go to a brew pub uh, because I had this new thing. I was still friends with those people. 
We didn't have a falling out. We didn't dislike each other. But I sure didn't see them anymore. And what sense of community I had was basically nullified the moment I was no longer able to participate in the actions that had defined our relationship. And that's one thing that was marked by just a season of my life and, and a significant change uh, in my life, but, but that's actually even more important, I, I think, today as, as we've gotten to the point, especially with things like social media, where it is so easy to add or drop community with a click of a button. We have a, a social network, and, and yet we can change who's in that social network just any time they do an action we don't like. You know, I, I, and I see that in myself. I'm, I'm going through my feed, and I'm like, he posted about politics again, unfriend. Like, oh, great, she just started selling cosmetics, unfriend. <laughs> oh, and this person's just posting yet another uh, you know, silly cat video. I'll let you stay around. You're all right. You brighten my day. And in fact, I I see more and more how very few of us have a true lasting community because I think what we all desire and I think what we saw go wrong in in this moment in this one church 2,000 years ago is we want a community that's bigger than our actions. We want a community that's not so fragile that if at any point we change a way we act or a way we believe that we actually lose that relationship. I think we desire friends, uh, relationships with people that are going to be with us through thick and thin, not based on what actions we commit or don't commit. And I think what we're seeing here is not just simply someone like Cephas being a hypocrite, although he was, but I think what we see is a, a group of early believers who were struggling so hard to find identity and belonging and community with each other, and they knew no way to go about it other than to have this set list of acceptable actions. Other than to say, this is what you do to be one of us. And again, that's gonna be a natural default even for us now. I see it, like we we build our community around the people who do actions that are equivalent to ours. Oh, like you work hard at your job, I work hard at my job. Like, oh, you live, you know, outside of the loop, I live outside of the loop. If you lived inside, it'd just be too long to travel to where you are. And and, and we build community around these realities of, of action around us. And yet, we all, I think, inherently realize just how frail that is. And I think we all would like a community that didn't actually require us to live up to some external set of actions and behaviors. And I think that there's a way to get there. Because although action is a very strong and driving force for community, although it is a thing that marks us as part of a tribe and part of a group with similar values, I think that there is actually something even more powerful and even more bonding than joint actions. And I think it's this. It's being in a similar condition as someone else. You see, if we're just built around, oh, you like basketball, I like basketball, let's play together, then the moment that changes, that relationship also is irrevocably changed. But if we're actually built around a similar condition that we are in, that we are all in, that doesn't change. And none of our actions, although they might come out of that, none of them become the thing that actually dictates our community. Uh, Just to give you some examples, when you can say to someone, you're struggling with cancer? (laughs) I've struggled with cancer too. When you can say to someone, oh, you were laid off from your job, oh, I've, I've been there. 
When we can say to someone, oh, you struggle with this thing? Oh, I, I, I struggle with that each and every day. Or even what I've seen in my own life, when we can say to people, oh, you have little kids uh, that, that you don't know if you're doing right by them or with them? <sighs> Me too. Let, let's be young parents who struggle together. But in fact, if we can look at our similar condition, that is a communal bond and identity that far outweighs just whether we happen to perform the same actions or behaviors. And I think Paul was wise to that, and I think it was the reason he was so quick to call out Peter's hypocrisy in this moment, because he understood something that even Peter and some of the other early believers didn't understand yet at that time. And so let's continue with Paul's letter uh, and see what he's, what he's saying about that. You see, he continued to talk about all of these actions that Jews thought they needed to perform to be in community together. And, and he talked about all the reasons why those actions weren't sufficient. And then he concludes with this. Paul says, for when I tried to keep the law, when I tried to continue to live up to these actions for the sake of being in the community of believers, when I tried to keep the law, it condemned me. It became a thing that he could not live up to and maintain. It became a false identity. It condemned him. And so I died to the law. I stopped trying to meet all its requirements so that instead I might live for God. My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And so I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Galatians 2, 19 and 20. You see, Paul saw how actions will ultimately fall short. If we're requiring someone to behave a certain way like us, that's never going to provide the belonging and identity that we all so desperately crave. But there is a condition that can unite us in spite of that. And the condition is this, that none of us can perfectly maintain the actions and behaviors of our communal group. None of us can be perfect citizens. None of us can be perfect believers. None of us uh, can always uh, maintain what our group asks us to maintain. None of us can. Every one of us will fall short. And so the condition that we are all in is the condition that Paul described. That we've all died to ourselves and that we live in Christ. And that's a vague concept, and I know it's a vague concept because my seven-year-old daughter was here at the message last night, and I had to spend like half an hour after church trying to explain to her because she didn't get it. And after half an hour of frustration, I've realized we're probably all in the same boat she is. And so here is something that I've found that I think is a physical metaphor for this truth that Paul is describing. And so I'd like to introduce you to Marine Captain Derek Herrera who was a soldier in Afghanistan, uh, was there, deployed, uh, and while he was in Afghanistan, was shot and paralyzed from the chest down. Will never walk again. But I'd like you to see this video of Captain Herrera. Okay. For Derek and the close to two million other disabled people around the world currently confined to wheelchairs, the exoskeleton is a modern medical miracle. Just standing up was a movement out of the question until now. I press the standing button and then we go in to stand and uh, stand up and talk to you. Wow. It's nice to see you stand up. To walk, Derek leans forward and a motion sensor strapped to the side of his chest detects a tilt in his torso and the electric motor at the hip and the knee lifts his lower leg. 
leaning again, triggers another step, and so on. Can you believe we live in a time where that is possible? Is that not the most amazing thing? This guy whose body is paralyzed for life, who will never walk again under his own strength, but we live in a time where they have created an exoskeleton, where he can strap himself into this machine and he can stand and he can walk. And I'm sharing this with you not just because that's a cool story, although it is, but I'm sharing it with you because of this reason, that Captain Herrera's physical condition is an exact parallel of each and every one of us here's spiritual condition. What he has to live out in a physical body is what you and I have to live out in a spiritual body. And that's the truth that Paul was saying uh, in Galatians 2, 19 and 20. That we, when he says that we're crucified, what he means maybe in a more understandable metaphor is we are spiritually paralyzed. There is no thing you can do to a spiritually paralyzed body to make it better. There's no action you can perform uh, to make a spiritually paralyzed uh, body do uh, things. It can't try harder. It can't will itself to greater deeds or more righteous actions. All that a spiritually paralyzed person can do is say, this is who and what I am, and this is what Christ did for me. And so the spiritual parallel to this is, uh, just as Captain Herrera is physically, we are spiritually, so that exoskeleton is what Christ does for you and me, not just once 2,000 years ago, but each and every day. He provides the framework, the motion, the ability to do a thing that our bodies, our spiritual bodies, could not do. Paul talks about this uh, in a different letter that he wrote, but he elaborates a little more. He's talking about righteous actions. He's talking about all the holy things people want to do versus all the sinful things they don't want to do. And so he says, let us put aside the deeds of darkness. Let's put aside all the fleshly uh, things that we would do naturally, that our spiritually paralyzed bodies would only do negative things, evil things, self-pleasing things. Let's put those aside and instead let us put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in carousing. And again, these are just a list of the things that we as spiritually paralyzed people would do if it weren't for Christ in us. We won't carouse, not in drunkenness, not in sexual immorality, debauchery, not in dissension or jealousy. But rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. And do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. Clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul's actually saying that we need to begin uh, every moment of our life journey, every moment of our, every day that we live, by actually clothing ourselves, putting Christ on, strapping ourselves into this exoskeleton that Christ provides. That's what Paul's describing, and that's the linchpin, the secret to true community that he understood so clearly. I'd like to put another video on the screen behind me uh, just to paint the picture for you uh, that, again, this is another young man, Wade Hogue, who has the same device. But as you watch this man who is completely paralyzed from the chest down, as you watch him walk, I want you to see you and me. I want you to recognize a condition that trumps any actions that we might perform. You see, no one looks at this guy and judges him by how badly he's walking. No one looks at this person and says, well, why aren't you playing soccer? No one says, why aren't you running? 
They look at him and they say, I can't believe you're even moving. That in and of itself is a victory of all proportions. No one judges him by his actions because his physical condition is so clear that it immediately arouses our sympathy, our understanding. And in his community, no one in that community is saying, oh, you have to um, be a certain way physically for us, for us to keep up with you or to do things with you. You have to be able to, to hang. You have to do these right things. All they're saying is, I'm just so grateful you were able to strap that suit on in the morning and join us. And in the same way, this is what a Christian community should be about. You see, it's so tempting as believers to look only at the righteous actions. It's so tempting to say, if you really loved Jesus, you would behave better or in a certain way. If you really like Jesus, you'd vote this way. If you really like Jesus, you'd serve this way. If you really like Jesus, you'd love these people this way. And, and it's so easy to reduce it to the actions. But what if instead we took a look at ourselves and a look at these others around us And instead of saying these actions prove that you are or you are not part of my community, what if instead we looked at someone and said, you're spiritually paralyzed just like me? And that's our common condition. And now you might make different choices in your faith. You might take actions I actually disagree with. But the thing that unites us is not our actions. It's that we have the same condition We are spiritually paralyzed people who only move, breathe, and walk because of the power of Christ in me each and every day. And I think we we see how this is better, is more consistent and more unifying than relationship and community that's built around whether someone agrees with us or acts like us. Uh, In in fact, as I was reflecting on my own uh, Facebook tendencies to delete and unfollow people, there's actually one person on Facebook, uh, and I disagree with uh, and vehemently disagree with almost everything he posts. But I'm never going to unfriend him because about six years ago, we went through a very traumatic experience together. We suffered together. And so when I, when I log in and I see him and I just go, oh, you know, I can't believe you said that. It just makes me so. And, and any other person, I, I think, oh, I, I just, I need to not see you in my feed. I never make that click with him because the thing that actually is more important to me and the, and the thing that's at the front of my mind, even when he says uh, things that I hate, is that we suffered together. We've had the same condition. And if that is a thing that can unite us and be at the forefront of who we are, then that can dictate our community. And that can override the fact that we are going to inevitably disagree or act differently than those around us. But it hinges on believing that this is true. It hinges on us looking honestly at ourselves and recognizing like Paul that we are spiritually paralyzed and we could not, would not do any better in our lives unless we had Jesus in us, through us, energizing us. And to prove that point, I, I want to use a case study and, and hopefully this will resonate with you because there, there's this man who is probably one of the most important Christian believers of all time. Uh, this is a religious reformer uh, who completely changed the direction and trajectory of the church. And you've probably heard of him, but if you haven't, his name was Martin Luther and he lived about 500 years ago. And Martin Luther saw a church that 
um, had become all about the actions. He saw a church that had said, you must behave these ways to be a true believer. You must act this way. And if you don't, you're not a believer. You don't have salvation. You don't trust God. And Martin Luther is a man who actually translated the entire Bible by himself into his native language. Uh, He wrote uh, more books and sermons than I could read in a lifetime, let alone write them in a lifetime. This is by almost any measure an amazing superhuman Christian person. But what I want to share with you today is the last words he ever wrote as he lay in his deathbed and knew that he would be dying soon. And this is what this man wrote. So again, think in the, the lens that we're talking about of actions versus condition. This man who came to the end of a long and fruitful life where he shaped the history of the world, this was his reflection in his last moments. He said this, no one can understand Virgil's shepherd poems unless he's actually been a shepherd for five years. No one can understand Virgil's poetry on agriculture unless he's been a farmer for five years. No one can understand Cicero's political wisdom unless he has helped govern some prominent state for 20 years. And know that no one can have indulged in the scriptures sufficiently unless he has governed churches for a hundred years, referencing the prophets such as Elijah and Elisha, John the Baptist, Christ, and the apostles. All right, so again, he's reflecting on the actions that you would have to take to be a true believer who had understood the scriptures enough, all right? And he said you would have to have governed a church for a hundred years to actually be able to say that you had done that fully. And then these were his final words. We are all beggars. This is true. If one of the most important, powerful, righteous uh, believers of all time gets to the end of a life full of accomplishments and righteous acts and says, we're beggars, then how can any of us look at our own lives and, and start to pat ourselves on the back and say, oh, I, my actions are what define me. My righteous behavior is what dictates the community and I'm in. And I choose the people I surround myself with based on the fact that they make uh, behavioral choices and they choose actions uh, for the same uh, reasons I do. If we pat ourselves on the back, if we find our identity in the holy, righteous actions that we think we commit in our own strength, then we will end up like Peter. We will be hypocrites, and we will never have the community that I think we all so desperately crave and desire. The only way to find a true identity, the only way to find a group of people who actually know you uh, and accept you and love you, no matter what you do, is to admit first and foremost that we are all beggars. We are all spiritually paralyzed. And any good action that we do, and I hope that we commit and perform righteous actions. I hope that we are holy and that we love our neighbor and serve our neighbor. But we do it because only because we've put an exoskeleton on first. Neither of those men can take credit for walking. Yes, it took perseverance. Yes, they had to practice. But the credit goes to the suit that they strapped on that they used so that they could walk. And it's the same for us. Not a one of us can take credit for any holy or righteous action that we do. But what we can do is admit that we are spiritually paralyzed and give credit and glory for any choice we make that's good and holy and righteous. We give credit to our God. 
If you've been here at St. John for any length of time, you know that there's a, a paradigm that we use to talk about what we think a faith journey should look like. And it's called, we call it the life journey. And it's got four steps, uh, and, uh, and there's been a lot of thought uh, and, and theology that goes behind these steps, but I want to focus on one of the steps today. You see, as we paint a picture for what we think it looks like for a person who loves Jesus and who has been loved and redeemed by Jesus to live a life that honors God. We think that there are four steps that will mark the life of any person who's trying to walk with God. But the one I want to focus on is the third step, which is 15, uh, which says this, that you should spend 15 minutes each day in a faith-building discipline. And I want to unpack this for a moment because I think that you can read this, uh, and many of you have read and heard these steps before, but I think you can read this step and mistake it for an action that we are called to commit for the sake of holiness. I think it's easy to look at this and say, oh yeah, this is one more thing that our community does. This is one more action that proves that we're righteous, that proves that we belong uh, as part of this group of people who love Jesus. But I want to reorient you this morning. I want you to look at this 15 minutes each day discipline and see it not as something that we do because it's an action that marks us as righteous. Not as something that we do to prove that we've gotten holier and holier as our life has gone on. But to look at it this way. That just like those men every morning have to take a few minutes and strap themselves into this machine. They have to start their day by taking time uh, to rely on a strength that is alien to themselves. Each and every one of us wakes up spiritually paralyzed. And each and every one of us needs to spend a few minutes in our day reminding ourselves putting on Christ. We need to begin our time not thinking, oh, I'm paralyzed today, but today I'm going to get through on my own strength. Today I'm going to be holier and better and I'm going to do actions that are going to prove I'm part of this community. No, we start each day with 15 minutes where we prostrate ourselves before God and say, I cannot do this without you. These 15 minutes are not spiritual exercise. They're 15 minutes where we are beggars before the Lord saying, please give me your power today. Please give me the strength I need to stand up and walk and perform any action that would be pleasing in your sight. And if we do this, it helps keep us from being the hypocrite that Peter was. Because it never lets us go more than a day thinking that we do this in our own strength and our own abilities. If we do this, it reminds us each and every day of our condition that we are spiritually paralyzed. And if we do this, it builds a community around this truth that every one of us here needs God. None of us are holy on our own and none of us could maintain a true community and identity on our own. We need God to do it. And so if you have not uh, heard the life journey before or if, it, or if it's something you've heard but you haven't thought about, I would ask you uh, as you reflect on this truth that we see today to be reminded that our actions are ultimately hollow unless they are rooted in our actual condition in Christ. And I'd encourage you to try, if, you, if this is something you already do, then great to reorient yourself and to recognize what you're doing. If this is something you don't already do, to start doing it, not because it makes you better, Not because it marks you as a person who can be in community with us or a part of our church, but to do it so that you could actually rely on the strength that Christ has for you. 
the desire he has for you to walk spiritually and to do the actions that he would love for you to perform. And this way and only this way can the actions we perform have merit because now they're no longer something we do to earn community or approval. There's something we do out of the amazing sacrifice that Christ did for us. Amen. Now, as we continue our worship service this morning, uh, we're going to move into a time of confession uh, and absolution, but I want to do it a little differently this morning. You see, usually when we confess, we, we just talk about the things that we've done wrong, but, but Timothy Keller, uh, who's a pastor and a writer out in New York, uh, says this. He says that there are two ways that people try not to need Jesus. The first and obvious way is they just run away from him and run away from the church and uh, live lives of their own pleasing uh, and do what they want and are gods unto themselves. That's the, that's the obvious way. But, but there's yet another more insidious way that people try not to need Jesus. They try to be good enough that they no longer require Jesus. They rely on hollow actions and think that if they can just be righteous in themselves, then they don't need Christ's sacrifice. They don't need God's exoskeleton holding them up and powering them through their lives. And so this morning as we prepare ourselves for communion, what I'd like you to take a moment here uh, in, just a, in just a few seconds, uh, I'd like you to be quiet before the Lord and not simply confess the things you've done wrong. What I'd like you to confess this morning is the things you've done right this last week, but for the wrong reasons. The good and righteous and holy actions that you did because you thought that they made you worthwhile or they made you worth being in community with or they were your identity. And to take a moment and actually say to God, God, these actions cannot do the things I need them to do. They cannot provide me the identity and the community that you have in mind for me. The only thing that can is being a community that is in the same condition of true and full reliance on Christ. So take those righteous actions and submit them to the Lord right now.